All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. I am sitting here with a really good friend of mine here in the industry, Doug Edrington, uh, broker owner of Jay Douglas in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Chattanooga. Did I say that right? Chattanooga? Chattanooga. Chattanooga, Chattanooga. I always just call it the Nooga. Yeah, call it the Noog. The Noog. Yeah. And, uh, we're in Tennessee. That's where the rest of the world thinks of us. In Tennessee, if you don't know where Nuga is. And, and Doug also runs a team within the brokerage. So I definitely want to get into that whole dynamic. Uh, Doug, for full transparency and context, Doug and I are in the same mastermind. Uh, real estate coach, just one of uh, the absolute dominant teams and real estate minds in our industry today. Would you? Last year you were... Uh, 491 transactions. What year was that? That was the year before. That, that was, was year 2017. Before? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Last year, last year was the year of growth. So like we opened up a brokerage yes. last year. There's a whole lot of things happened. But yeah, our big like our record year is 491 with the team, and then now it's that's uh, just team. So that's not brokerage and team combined. Yeah, and then we're growing from there. So all right, so let's get into the whole thing of you know when you started the brokerage 17 or 18. No, no, no. I was I had just turned 19 when story. I got my license. So a very young age. My parents. My parents, Grace and George, um, they, they got their license within the year before I did. So, I mean, we all kind of jumped in at the same time. I started flipping some houses, having some fun with that at a very early age. In high school, I was... Um, that was your thing right out of the gate? Yeah, I, I, was, I was influenced in high school. Uh, a friend of mine's um, parents, or father, he's like a second dad. He taught me how to swing a hammer. And so, like, through literally at 15 years old... Um, eight bucks an hour, digging ditches, swinging a hammer, tearing out drywall, whatever it was, you yeah. know. So at 18, I decided I want to flip a house. Grandma co-signed, mom and dad helped with Lowe's and Home Depot credit cards, you know, co-signed. <laughs> like, you know, so they helped out a bunch. And then uh, when I bought my first house, my mom was like, hey, I think I want to get my license. Has an aunt in um, Tampa, Florida, who, ha- who owns a very, very small brokerage um, along the coast. And she, and I think so there was some influence there. So one thing led to another. Um, I got my license too, and we just, you know, it just kind of happened. You know, so are you, you know, it was are a you good. Ho- it was a good hobby, right? Are you doing any flipping right now? No, 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 no. no, no. I probably flipped uh, 15, 16 houses, and then it got to a point where, where, first off, it was like harder to buy flips. You know, the yeah. foreclosures. Like I remember our first time when I wanted to go buy a house to flip, I literally found like three or four houses, and I was like, which one do we want to do? And like that doesn't happen now. Now it's like jump on multiple offers, crazy, pay too much. Um, And and that's part of the reason why I haven't done it anymore was it was the evolution of, it was the evolution of like, it's getting harder to buy. We're also getting good at running a real estate team. So what focus is there. I was like right around that time I was just getting married. So like, it's like all of these things were happening. So the right evolution was, is let's stop like, you know, using my back and start using my mind a little bit more. And the best flippers, home rehabbers are doing so much volume that they can keep the same crew working. Like that's the most important thing, right? On, on these flips is having the actual contractors. And I'm a little perfectionist when it comes to stuff. So I did all the work on my own, most of it. Oh, were you? Yeah. I could see that. So nights and weekends, you know, I spent a lot of time doing that and, had every time I ever hired somebody, I just you know, but I was younger. Probably overbuilding the living crap out of everything is probably probably putting too much time into yeah. it. Not going, not necessarily overbuilding. I was being smart with yeah. it, but I just wanted to you know have a good product for the next person and not like something I'd feel. A couple times I hired a contractor. One specifically, I'll never forget. It was these Bubba's from Alabama that I thought was a good deal. Knew somebody, nice guy. Said they had a license. I don't think they actually had a contractor's license. Definitely they used not. the bathtub as a trash can when they were um, remodeling, doing tile work, well, like six months after we closed on the house, 
by the way, they totally bounced like the last two months before like the job was done. So I ended up finishing it up at the last, um, like six months after we closed on the house, I get a, just directly a letter from an attorney. We're, you know, we're coming after you for 20 something thousand dollars because the main drain lines clogged with Ooh. like little tiny pieces of tile. And, and it happens to be underneath the driveway too. And it was just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. So, so that was like a big burn for me to learn, learn mm-hmm. about, especially back then. I was like 22 years old and I got this cra- crazy letter. Um, I, ca- I just went literally knocked on the homeowner. I was like, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it right. I'm not paying your attorney. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I think yeah. it cost me like eight grand. Just so, fix the problem. Just fix the problem, yeah. Tile and Dorito wrappers? Anything else? Yeah. <laughs> Who yeah. knows why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tile apparently does not do well in a drain. Like, yeah. Yeah, so learn All a right. lot. So the flipping days are over. You're, yep. uh, again, you're running a brokerage. How many, let's give some numbers so people really have a feel for what you're doing. How many people in the brokerage? Yep. How many transactions are you going to estimate for 19 in the brokerage side and then on the team side? So the the goal for the team is 440 this year mm-hmm. and i don't even say the goal we're trending trending towards it yeah we're trending 440 for the team for the brokerage i want to say we're probably around 750 units somewhere in that ballpark um, i'm guessing a little bit uh, on that but i think it's gonna be around 750. Uh, the the team has as of today 15 salespeople which of the 15 salespeople, I'd say, gosh, half of the team has been in the business for less than a year or right out of a year. Brand new. Yeah, because we, well, not to get like totally in the weeds, but when we left our last brokerage, I had a, I had a leader at the time that decided they want to start their own team. It created a split, learned a lot from it. And um, so, so when I started the brokerage we're at now, started with a, a much smaller team we had to rebuild. So I'm really proud of our team that's going to be pushing 440 units with, with like 15, 15 people, people half of them new. Like yeah. two of them haven't even sold a house yet because they're literally like less than a month. Yeah, do the it, numbers so. on that. That's 25 plus units a, a, a member. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, it is. It is. It's yeah. a little over 25 plus units a member. And then, and then um, in addition to that, the brokerage, we're sitting at 40 agents right now and about 10 staff. So we're literally right at a 50 person operation staff being marketing and, and support and back end and all that stuff as well. And, uh, with, with the brokerage though, it, it's cool because, um, f- at least in Chattanooga, there's a, there's a good, um, there's a, there's a, there's a, it's a different culture that we're creating in a sense of, of our team. We're the only brokerage in town that actually the team owns the brokerage, the brokerage on the team, however you want to look at it. Like we're the only ones like that. And now that I've stepped into the brokerage world, which by the way, I would not recommend for just anybody, like you gotta really be passionate about wanting to do that. Um, But if you decide to do it, um, the team's where we make our money, you know? And, And, but the other, but it allows me to make really healthy decisions for the brokerage. So like one of the decisions that we made from the get go, and I really had a hard time with this, and, and now that we're a year, year and a half into it, I feel really good about my sticking to my original decision. And that is, is no one joins our brokerage as a solo agent or a team leader unless they have 24 units under their belt in the past 12 months. So you literally, you don't take brand new out of the package agents into the brokerage. They have the opportunity they to, have to join make the team. team. Or not, a not team. Okay. A team. A team. A team. So we have five teams and one solo agent right now who has desires to grow a team probably next year. Mm-hmm. And 
And so, so a lot of people have thought of us as like a team brokerage and it's, it's like the brokerage, it's all about teams and that's not the case. Now that's what I'm passionate about. So of course you're going to attract what you're passionate about. And, and, but the, but it's not that I'm against solo agents by any means. It's just, we're going to, we're going to want them at a high caliber because, because the reality is, is for a broker owner, um, paying pretty darn high splits, you know, where the agents keep most of the money, but they're running their own business. Right. So, so I'm basically like my value proposition to them is culture, a pretty roof over their head and a, re- a really pretty roof, a really pretty over roof head, head, if, right? If you go on, I guess, Doug's Instagram, which we'll link up if you're watching this on YouTube, you might see some photos of the office. Like yeah. I was at the grand opening, one of the most ridiculous real estate offices, I will say anywhere, not just in Nuga, but anywhere like you guys have We're really, really proud of it. It's really awesome. done it. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's about 12,000 square feet and it's just, just very, very unique. Yeah. So, Rooftop party spot, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, but, but yeah, we want to we want to make sure they have a you know kind of a sexy place to come home to. And and um, but we also you know coaching is a big part of it. You know, I'm a coach for Tom Ferry with the Team Plus program, which is the program you're part of as well. It's like the I don't want to say the top of the top, but it's the most expensive for sure, right? Sure. And because um, there's great great coaching clients all throughout the uh, Tom Ferry network, but at the same time, like I get the opportunity to coach with there's about 200 teams in that program so i get to work with some of the best teams and i learn a lot from it so so i get to take that and then take that back home to my brokerage and that's a big value proposition other teams that join us but i make my money the majority of the money with the team Mm -hmm. and so that doesn't mean that i focus less on the other people it's that built an organization a system that is you know the 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 bread one or the sugar cookie as tom would say you know and Mm -hmm. And it's the stuff that works. And then it allows me to spend time and help developing other teams and, and, you know, really just follow the passion. And you made a great point to me, uh, one of our conversations in the past that, and I was just talking about this with Lisa Chinati on the podcast I did with her, um, that now you actually have a true transition opportunity uh, available to people on your team if they say to you, hey, been on the team three years, learned so much you're my mentor I couldn't do without you but I want to go and and maybe start my own team or whatever it may be you've got the opportunity now to say but they don't want to leave you right so but but you can put them in the brokerage so I think here's something I've I've had the epiphany right the epiphany to pull it together that something that I can transfer because when I left the last brokerage I was at or prior to I probably lost an agent every six weeks Towards the end, okay, I was we're dealing with a lot of stress stressors. I almost had a, a two headed leadership because uh, one of the leaders of my team I'd given a lot of power to. So I, again, I learned a lot from that. But they had one vision and I had a different vision. So that, therefore, that never works. I've talked about that. Creates stress <laughs> yeah. and and so so and but the problem that happened it's not the problem that happened is an agent. Let's just say an agent is in your environment at your team. I have a feeling there's a lot of team leaders in your audience, right? Mm-hmm. And so let's assume your team member is in your team and something just doesn't go good that day or they don't like the way that, uh, you know, whether it's about a dollar, whether it's about culture, whether it's about fairness, whatever you want to call it. But let's just say someone has a bad day. Well, they can't help but think at times, what would it be like if I was running my own team? What would it be sure. like if I was an individual agent? Or somebody from down the street calls them, recruits them, they start wondering. They what start would it thinking. be like if I was on another team, yeah. right? All these different scenarios. So what they do is they go typically to the broker 
in private, you know, mm-hmm. they, mm-hmm. they go to the broker and they're like, okay, I want to talk to you about something, but I don't want my team leader to know because I'm not sure if I'm there yet and I don't want to ruffle the feathers, but I just, this is where I'm at, right? And so they go to this broker and, and, and there's a lot of these brokers out there that haven't built a team, haven't been a part of growing something. They're, you know, no disrespect to, because this is not disrespect to all the brokers, but we all know there's a bunch of them out there. They're just body farms, right? Yeah. They, they open up the doors, they take anybody. So they just don't want to lose people. It's, it's just a fear mindset. It's not that they're trying to sabotage a team. They just don't want to lose people. So, right. so when, that, when that team member goes up to that broker and says, hey, I'm thinking about maybe being solo. The broker basically says, well, you know what? You've been trained by the best. You obviously have done well. And you can yeah, do this. And I'll raise your split. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so, so what happens is the person who now is giving them the key to their new opportunity is just literally giving them a key. They're not yeah. coaching them, mentoring them, helping or anything. And then the, I don't want to say the person because it's not just about me, but the team that's helped them grow. Because in our team, it's not just me. It's mentors. It's their partners. It's all these yeah. other people involved that help them get to where they're at. They're not having the discussion. That team member who's thinking about leaving isn't having a discussion with anybody that's actually helped them do anything and have been in the arena with them. Mm-hmm. They're getting advice from the cheap seats, as uh, what's her name? Brene Brown. Brene Brown. You know, that's a great book. I'm actually in the middle of that right oh, now. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So, so I think st- you put me onto that. Yeah. So they're getting advice from the person in the cheap seats. It's like, oh yeah, you do great, right? Yeah. So then they jump out. Well, I've only had one team member, literally one, that's like actually done well over the years and years that's left our team. The rest of them, they typically end up out of the real estate business mm-hmm. because they didn't have the accountability and the habits. So here's the resolution if you're listening to this. So one resolution, the big one, the challenge one that I don't recommend you doing, and I'll give you the one I recommend. One is, is own your own brokerage, right? Because when they want to leave, they can come to you and then discuss about doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. If you've made them feel, going back to Brene Brown, super safe to have that conversation. Right, right. Yeah. They got to feel safe about that. But I will say this. My recommendation is not open a brokerage. My recommendation that I don't think anybody's ever thought about, and I wish someone had taught me this before I had opened up my own brokerage, was truly have an exit plan with your team members. So if you don't own your own brokerage, have an exit plan with your team members that it, it could literally be like, um, let's say for example, the, if you want to leave this team, a, if mm-hmm. you want to leave team a, it's already agreed upon that the team member will help you develop and, and grow your own team or be a solo agent. And, and for the first 10 transact 10 transactions after you leave the team, the team leader will get maybe 15% or 20% or something of that nature. Some override or something. And and, and I would make it really small because the purpose isn't to make money off of them when they leave. The purpose is is to give them a path to where they can come to you and have a conversation because since we've opened up our brokerage, which we've been open for a year and a half now, Mm -hmm. I haven't had one person leave the team. Where before, every six weeks, I was losing somebody. Now not a single person has come to me and said, I'm thinking about leaving. Um, I've had, we've let go of a person or two, uh, but like literally when I say a person or two, maybe three that I can remember off the top of my, I think literally we've only let go of three that just wasn't a right fit since we've been here. But besides that, not a single person has come to me and said, Hey, I'm thinking about being a solo agent. I'm thinking about growing my own team. And, and the reason, the reason is, is I think, cause they know they can like, and, and, and they're open to, and I've had a couple of people like, 
hey, you know, I think I might want to do it one day. And I'm like, great, I'm excited for you. Let's talk about that whenever you're ready. Let's go and start building that plan. And I think that it creates it creates a comfort level. So a comfort level and they know it's on them for to start that plan, right? Like, hey, mm-hmm. come to me when you're ready to start. And yeah. to your point, whether they're ready now or it's going to take a long time. Right? So, so like, I think probably one of the biggest takeaways for this podcast, I hope that I can like empower other team leaders out there is, is like, I would literally draw out a written plan, make it simple. Like literally maybe it's just 10%. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just, if you want to start your own team and leave mine, then, um, I want to help you succeed. I want to help you get better. So I'd rather you come to me now and let's start building at that out and what it looks like before you just jump out of the nest and not really know what you're getting into. We can build it out. And I guarantee you, even for the people that are interested in it, most of them will change their mind or maybe say not now, you know, it'll also maybe give you as the team leader an opportunity to learn from why they're wanting to leave. And maybe you could create a path of leadership within your own team to where you can keep them if you want. The goal isn't just to like keep everybody. The goal is is to just create open communication mm-hmm. so when someone is thinking about leaving, everybody can learn about it, make a healthy decision that's not rushed, that's not behind a closed door. And, and it's just, does that make sense? It does, and people see that, right? Other agents see that. They can see from the outside looking in not only the great culture, but wow, that's a place that's fostering superstars. It's a place that's actually building people up in, in elevating them maybe to their next step, yeah. right? Yeah. And so when you build something like that, I talk about this a lot on different podcasts. I always use Vince McMahon, WWE as the example, right? I think we've talked about this even a little bit. Have, we, have I ever gotten to that with you? Tell me. <laughs> yeah. So Vince McMahon, do you know who that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best the, the wrestler guy, entrepreneur right? of all time. Yeah, he, yeah. he's he owns uh, you know WWE, yeah. formerly WWF. If you think about the way he's built that company, I've never thought Hulk about Hogan, this, by the way. <laughs> Andre the Giant, right? Okay. Like, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, these mega stars, right? And then you, you go into the next chapter or generation of stars, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. He's built people, individuals up into these huge mega stars. Now, some of them leave and become even bigger than the WWE itself, like The Rock, mm-hmm. right, for, Teach, for example. Right? But what does that create? It creates a place that everybody, the next person that wants to become the rock john cena right will go because they know they've got to put their seven ten years of learning building a brand becoming a star themselves before they're going to get the movie opportunity like the rock did or or whatever so literally everybody that now not everybody but everybody that's like that bodybuilder Mm -hmm. has got some athletic and fly around the ropes type of thing that also wants to do movies is going to think geez that's a place i need to go that's an environment and organization that i need to cut my teeth at right that's cool and so now you just basically create this funnel of new out of the package agents like i need to go there first whether i spend my whole career there like the undertaker would never leave wwe or uh, i just need to go there for five years and then do my next thing but you're always at least going to have a conversation with people coming into the industry because they know if they come to you they've got a legit shot at becoming a superstar. It's something that I'm working hard at building. I think like Lisa is doing something. She literally says, hey, I know I'm gonna keep my agents for 12 to 18 months. The ones that are gonna go, you know, she's gonna keep some lifers, but the ones that wanna go start their next thing and not having any fear about that. I think there's too many team leaders or people starting a team right now that have fear 
that people are going to leave them and, and almost feel like people shouldn't be allowed to leave. And it, and it absolutely creates anxiety and tension within the team environment. Well, one of the interesting things about when I'm talking to team leaders about potentially joining our brokerage, um, their biggest fear in our world, because our, our, the, the, my original team is the number one team in town, has yeah. been for a long time. So one of the fears is, is when, they, when they're thinking about coming, is like, well, I don't want to look bad to my team members and under the same roof that your team's in. Like, they're going to compare constantly. And, and the reality is, is when they all get in, it's like, oh, it's so cool to be in this environment where we can all learn from each other. So yeah. it goes from a scarcity mindset before they come in the door to when they get there. It's just like how, everybody's getting. But before, when they get there, they can see it. Before they get there, how do you help them see that you don't have to have a scarcity mindset. There's enough for everybody. We're going to help you grow. How do you get those team leaders to see that? before they actually get there. So I'm a firm believer when it comes to recruiting existing agents and or teams. It's not so much about what you can say, it's what they see, right? So they got to see it and they got to hear it from others. It's really hard to sell yourself. And mm. it just when you're trying to sell yourself, it's hard, right? And, but at the same time, um, I'm a firm believer that people will never leave unless it's they're in a really bad situation where they're at. So, so it's, it's, really? it's, it's being the, like literally every, like I could go down the list of every agent in my brokerage and employee, by the way, that, that Has when I learn somewhere? about their last situation, it doesn't mean that they're hating on their last situation or anything like that. They all are finally at a pain point that's bad enough to where they want to leave. So, so the true, the true answer of being like, I gotta be, I gotta be the best plan B is so true because, mm. you know, I've, I've shot myself in the foot cause I didn't keep in touch with people before. And, and you know, earlier on I call them up and I'm like, Hey, I just saw you made the move to, you know, banana company. And I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> like, like everything was so perfect. And they were like, Oh, I know, you know, it was great, but you know, so-and-so from that company, we just talk so much and like, it just made sense. And I just feel comfortable there. Like, and I, and I yeah. love you guys too. Like, if this doesn't work out, I'm coming to you. And I was like, dang, we both had good relationships with this individual. They just followed up, you know? Followed and, up more. Yeah. So it was an early lesson on a year and a half ago. And I was like, oh damn, this is just like real estate, right? I got to follow up too. And so, so there's, there's that, but it's understanding, like, I think to just be clear in answering your question is, is getting these people to come on board. It's constantly staying in touch with them. It's constantly building a relationship. We're, we're in a hotel room. If, if you guys heard that phone ring, I just had Sam pick it up and hang up. Do like, you have somebody showing up? I have, I have no idea. <laughs> they're probably going to call back. Yeah, it's was. all good. It's all good. Um, but, you know, the I, I think just making sure that you understand you got to show off your culture in multiple different um, mediums, like like social media is the easiest one, but literally, I know that every time I meet with a team leader or an agent or anybody, instead of assuming they're going to stalk me, I'm like, have you stalked me? Like, have you watched everything? Have you gone to the brokerage sites? Have you got, or the, you know, uh, the brokerage Facebook, the team's Facebook, the other team's Facebook, my Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Like Chattanooga I homes for sale. Chattanooga homes for sale. Like I, I li good memory. Yeah. Uh, I, I literally want shit. everybody to like watch us because that's yeah. real. So does that answer your question? Absolutely. Yeah. Let me come at this from a, a different angle. I think I asked Lisa the same question. 
do you believe every team leader let me yeah let me frame it up that way do you believe that every team leader should have not an exit plan i guess you could call it an exit plan but a plan to remove themselves from production do you think team leaders being in production creates uh too much friction i mean for your example i know you're not in production right mm -hmm. that's why i'm asking Correct. you a question you know you would have been in production team leader broker like that's kind of a, a lot of hats to wear yeah. but even just on a team leader someone that's not going to start a brokerage right do you think the goal should be to scale it and get out of production no absolutely not okay i i i don't believe that every team leader should get out of production i think it depends on the market i think it depends on your price point you know there's a lot of different factors in chattanooga tennessee our average price points like shy of 250 I've got to sell a lot of houses to to make the same kind of money that like what's your average price point? Our teams is just over five hundred. Yeah, like yeah, you're double right, yeah. and so and then some of these other people that we're talking to across the country, I mean, they're even higher than that. Yeah. So like yeah, sure. like take you know like Tom's golden child, you know Tim Smith. Yep. Tim Smith, like average price point a few million dollars. Got a massive team. He's probably going to do a billion in sales this year or next year if he doesn't hit it this year. And he's still and fully in production. He's still fully in production. But he hired somebody to run his team. So I, I think the answer is, is it doesn't matter whether you're going to be in production or not in production. you got to have standards in place, a transparent system to where you can remove emotional decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, um, same thing. My dad, who is a owner of our business with me, he is one of the top salespeople on the Edrington team. And, and there was a time years ago where people like, George gets all the good stuff. George gets the higher price point. Mm, George gets yeah. this. George gets that. Yeah, because he's your dad. Like, yeah, but so the, the assumption. The assumption there. was there, but the, the thing was he's been in business for 15 years. And there's a ton of repeat business. And, yeah, past he's not clients. passing the past clients away. So, But the problem, that, the problem that we had is we didn't have a clearly – Define transparent way that leads were distributed. So um, it was this kind of, we're, we're a big ISA team back then when all this was going on. So like the ISA set up a ton of appointments and inside sales agents, the people that pound the phones, if you don't know what I'm talking about. And, and um, we had like this kind of hidden totem pole of who gets what appointment based on what scenario. So we weren't fair to the whole team. I mean, we, we, we believed we were operating fairly, but we weren't fair to them. They just didn't know about it. They just didn't know. So that wasn't that part wasn't fair to them. And so so now the cool thing is is our team is like completely transparent in how we operate. You know, whether it's the jump ball system where everybody's phones rings at the same time or it's based on true closing numbers. We we make a lot of decisions in our team based on the past rolling thirty days of production, mm -hmm. and it's all transparent. Like the entire team sees it. So sometimes my dad's at the top, usually he actually is, um, but sometimes he's in the second or third. You know, sometimes he's way down at the bottom for one month because he got in his camper and drove around the country for a month. You know, whatever it yeah. may be. So, so um, all of that stuff is transparent, and I'm I believe I could be wrong. Uh, we got some team members behind the camera here. I believe. Give me a head nod one way or the other. I believe that it's pretty transparent. I don't. I don't think that anybody's like panicking about. They're giving me head nods. That's they're saying good. yes. Yeah. I, I. I don't. I don't think that anybody in our team right now thinks that like, like the owner or the team lead is cheating out the thing. So, the point is, is do you have transparent standards in place? Do you have your your organizational lead chart on the wall so everybody knows how what goes where? Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning who to go to for what? 
Yeah, as like well? like a flow if chart? like yeah, a flow chart, a flow chart. Yeah, so if it's buyer, the lead goes here. If it's seller, the lead goes here. Or if it's unknown, the lead goes here, and then here's the totem pole, or is it, how's it based upon? You know, ours, like I said, ours is based off of the rolling 30-day stats, so everybody can get ahead or everybody get behind. Mm. It's, it's cool. Um, it, it, it's, it's a, as, uh, as our friend Tom Ferry says, we're operating as a meritocracy. You know, it's all based on merit that's happened in the past 30 days, and that's how everybody's ranked, by earning opportunity. Mm-hmm. But for a brand-new person coming in, they have the we have the, they have the benefit of the doubt opportunity for 30 days you know and then they can work their way in so so you just build a system that is transparent and then like i always challenge myself is is doug removing all emotional decisions from this scenario because if i'm not that means i'm going to have to make an emotional decision or what has appeared as an emotional decision of what's fair or not fair who it should go to and i'm not going to win mm-hmm. so and we can't win them all but Emotional decisions should be made for process process creation along with testing and data-driven decisions as well. But the goal is to get it to a process to where all that goes away. So if you are a team leader fighting with yourself, production or not production, it's, it's more about transparency and delegation. So, so if you do decide to stay in production – um, uh, you you need to have an operator. You need to have somebody who can run the team. Why did you choose to get out of production? But y- I know you mentioned there's just the 250,000 homes. It would take up so much of your time. You wouldn't be able to run the brokerage and the team and sell 80 homes. You just can't do it all I- in a day. But w- what else? What, why else did you choose to leave production? Um, so the f- first time I decided the first time I decided to get out of production I decided to go like cold turkey and I'm like I'm done cold turkey yeah I was just like you know what I'm out of production as of January and 1. so that completely flopped totally flopped <laughs> uh you know what it probably would have worked out I got scared honestly I just got Did scared you? yeah it, January 1 I said I'm out of production of whatever year that was um and because uh, how many years at that point had, had you been on the commission drip 10 12 years something like yeah, that that's super something scary. like that so so I literally I was like, I'm out of production. And then three months into it, I was looking at the team's numbers and I was like, oh, wow, I actually generate a lot of listings, which helps generate a lot of the buyers and the you know, on and on domino effect. Right. Yep. And so then I stepped back in. And I was like, all right, I'm only going to work with past clients because I was even referring my past clients everything away. And um, I was like, all right, I'm only going to work with past clients and sellers. And uh, so I did that for probably three or four months. And then I was like, you know what? No, I think I need to get up. Because the problem I was dealing with is do I take care of my client or do I take care of my brand new team member that doesn't know which way's up or down? Yeah. And, it, and if I'm going to take on that role, and it, it, whether it's me or I hire somebody in that role, I owe it to them. Like, hey, come in my world and I'm going to make money off of you. That's what team leaders, I mean, that's, that's the design of building a business, right? helping delegate and, 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 and earn income off of other people's efforts as well. But if you're a team, like you should really check yourself. If you are a team member that doesn't have consistent training, doesn't have the consistent one-on-ones, doesn't have all of that. And the reason you don't have it, this is where you should check yourself. If the reason you don't have it is because you're saying you don't have time. Mm. I don't, I, I think you're doing your agents a big disservice um, it's very disrespectful to bring them on to an organization and they look at you as a leader and then you don't give them the training attention that they deserve, yeah. you know? So that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I think 
man, I can't even imagine a world where there's not training available every single day, whether it's an agent. I mean, you and I both know there are the majority of the brokerages are not training even once a week, let alone every single right. day. Right. right. Well, and, and so here's my pet peeve this year. It's leaders that don't know how to train. Yeah. And, and let's get specific on training. They don't need training. Like they do need training on contracts. They do need to understand what appraisal is and home inspection and all that kind of stuff. Of course. Yeah. That stuff's important. But what they need constantly every single day is negotiation scripts, role playing. And the reason most leaders don't do it is because they have the gift of the gab. They have the swag to be able to pull it off on their yep. own and, and, and be successful without actually having the formal training. But you're one personality type team leader, and there's three other personality types that can't learn the same way you do. So you've got to figure out how to transfer that skill. So I challenge you as a team leader to really think about how are you transferring the skill. I, did, I truly did not feel confident in my ability until I became a coach for Tom Ferry probably three years ago. Like that was a massive part because I coach teams and people are paying me to not just coach the team leader on leadership and culture and training and problem solving and recruiting and all that stuff. Like every week I'm in front of a group of a different, a different group of 10 people that I've started to build relationships with. And they're looking at me to figure out like, well, how do I door knock? Yeah. And like, literally you've got to teach them exactly what to say and mm-hmm. practice the objections that are going to come. Show them and how same to thing practice. for the presentation and same thing for the phone call, everything like that. Last night at dinner, Trey uh, Willard yeah. said um, something very similar about coaching. He's, he's not, he's less than 10 coaching clients mm-hmm. and uh, he's not doing teams like, like you are. He's doing like the elite level at, at Tom Ferry, but yeah, he, the way he said it was, uh, similar to what you're saying where he's learning so much and being able to apply that back into his business. It almost for a second got me like, Hmm, maybe I should be coaching, but I don't think so. I mean, (laughs) it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. You know, it's, it's a different pressure you put on yourself because, because people have to show up and perform. People are paying a lot of money for that. Yeah. You absolutely have to show up and perform. But like I learned the most, I mean, I, I think I learned leaps and bounds more than my own clients do because the, the coaching clients, because I, I literally like, like I've, I've got my, I've got the book, you know, that I put all my notes in that I transcribe it on the computer later. Um, but I have uh, the, my book. I just flip a page. I write the note, the date or the, the, the team that I'm working with the date. And then I can always review back on the last, last coaching call so I can make sure I'm holding them accountable, their homework and everything like that. But the back of the book is all the nuggets that I get. Sometimes like a mm. team or a team member, an objection or something, it could be a small process. It could be a way to recruit. It could be an objection or something. And somebody will say something and I'll be like, hmm, and for tell you me more. Not- and I'll go straight to the back and I'll thank them for it. I mean, I, I'm, I don't have to have the ego of I know everything. Yeah, yeah, like course. they get a pat on the back and it's like, that's freaking awesome. Thanks for teaching Coach Doug something today. And for you not being in production, that keeps you really much in the weeds of the business because you're dealing with real time issues that teams are facing in their market. Yeah, yeah it keeps it keeps you yeah. right in the, the non-production team leader really needs to be good at role playing with your team because you'll get rusty. And Are like, you doing the role play or is that delegated out? No, I'm doing the role play. You are? Yeah, I yeah. do. And and it's, I mean, even like we're, we're at this big event here in Anaheim and I'm doing a 
class, I think tomorrow, the next day, literally objection handling live with the audience, which is yeah. fun, you know? Um, it, it's fun for me. There was definitely a lot of anxiety that came with it the first time I ever did that of like, okay, I think I know everything, but I'm about to stand in front of an audience all over the country, sometimes the world. And you're like, what are they going to say? How well do I know this? <laughs> How well do I know it? Um, but you know, it reminds you, it goes back to basics and here's a funny thing. I ask, I ask, um, t- I ask people this when I first start working with them in coaching. I say, who in, who on the, the Zoom call doesn't have kids? There's always a couple people that don't have kids. And I say, awesome, do you know the alphabet? And they're like, yeah, do you, like, you have kids. You know the alphabet, right? Like, you know what's funny about that? I got a Snapchat from my wife last night, and she asked my daughter Stella to do the alphabet, so she would say A, and Stella would say A, the whole way through. And then like around uh, R, S, T, whatever, like I'm like, wait a minute, no, you goes first. And I, I actually didn't know the alphabet. Oh, no. Like, no, 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 you <laughs> later on. That's so, so maybe funny. I don't know the alphabet. You'd figure it out. But you know, it's, it it's out. so funny, like, like, uh, and I've always, I've learned I need to find out if they have kids or not, because they have kids, they're like, yeah, I said it last night. If they, if they don't have children, I'm like, I'm like, okay, so do you know the alphabet? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, let's hear it. And they're like, you want me to sing it to you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you can sing it, say it, whatever you want. And they're like, A, B, C, D. I was like, okay, you can stop. You obviously know the alphabet. I said, when was the last time you said the alphabet? And they're like, I don't even know. Like, I mean, years. Like, I, like, I literally don't even remember the last time that I said the alphabet. And I say, how do you know it? Why do you, why, why do you still know it? And they're like, I guess, I mean, just repetition. We did it over and over and over, like our whole lives. I mean, we learned how to spell with it. It's the foundation of language. You can just pull it out. Yeah. You just have it. It it could have been 10 years since you said the alphabet, but it's still in your back pocket. That's no different than how we need to role play and objection Mm. handle and all that. So it's a good analogy to think about the alphabet versus, um, you know, like, I mean, I feel like this year I've just beat to death LP mama, you know, which is the acronym for, you know, direction for working with buyers. And, and, um, but there's, it's not just knowing the words, it's knowing the tactics on how to do it and all the objections that come along with it and how to overcome those objections. And because I coach 10, 12 teams, plus the five teams in our brokerage, plus all the individuals of those teams, like, it's like me just singing the alphabet constantly. And so I challenge the team leaders to take that to the next level. I just yeah. have a reason to have to do it a lot, and that's because I'm in coaching. And that probably shouldn't have been the reason that I decided to focus on objection handling and working on skill, but that's what it was for me. So I had the push. Um, a lot of people don't necessarily think they have that push, but they do have the push because your team members need you badly there. I like the alphabet analogy. I'm going to use that because if somebody recites the alphabet, it doesn't sound like a script at all. Even though when they first, you know, uh, started to learn the alphabet, it Uh was a script and it was something they were repeating over and over again, but now they say it in their own way. I like that a lot. All right. I'm going to just ask you a quick couple like last questions, totally switching gears, just like random stuff that's popping into my head that I'm going to ask you and you can answer it any way you want. You're super entrepreneurial, right? Try. Basically. I like to copy a lot of stuff, you, you, so I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not the originator most <laughs> no, of the time. Yeah. No, but, but entrepreneurial for sure. Uh, brokerage that's going to do with the team, the brokerage, 1,000-plus transactions, right? What's the next business you're thinking of starting around all of those transactions? <sighs> that's a good question. 
That's a good question. Um, it doesn't have to be the next one that you're absolutely going to do. You don't have to give away any secrets. Yeah, but like, no, what no, are some no. thoughts that, I'm pretty transparent, that, dude. that you've been thinking about? You know, I think, so for those of the people that know me listening to this, well, they know that we started an expansion team in Nashville a couple of years ago. We sold about 40 houses at a pretty darn high price point in comparison to Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. And we did it. We opened it up on April Fool's Day. That was like the launch day, April 1. And we closed it down the following year on April 1st, on April Fool's Day. One year. A one year, solid 365 days. And um, we uh, we still had some sellers at the time, so we, we officially said we're sunsetting and we're going to take care of our sellers until they're done, but we're going to pass all the opportunity on to someone locally. And the reason I did that is because we had opened up a Berkshire Hathaway franchise in Chattanooga, and there's a bunch of the legal stuff of being focused on your yep. brokerage yep. and yada yada. But... It was a great. It was a great time to close down Nashville because I learned a ton from that. From like leading from afar is extremely hard, um, and so I learned a lot from it. I think that I think that to answer your question of what's next, I think at some point in time, I don't know if it's next, but it's probably getting back into expansion again and getting to another city because it's so lucrative mm-hmm. to you know create new sales. Your team. Uh, through, through team, through team, through team. And, 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 uh, you know, I've got, I've built some, well, I mean, I've, I've been with Berkshire since they became Berkshire. We were Prudential before you were pro. Okay. Yeah. And, and so I've built a lot of really good relationships over the years with those people. And then when we opened up our own brokerage, we stayed in the network. So I know all of the regional people around us and, and I think that all of them would still cooperate with us to allow us to put a team in. And I figured out how we can do all that. Um, so I think that expansion is definitely on the horizon. Uh, at some point in time, the biggest lesson I learned is, is don't try to lead two places at once. We need to develop a leader mm-hmm. in Chattanooga that's part of our culture and then send them to Nashville. So as soon as I have someone that is raising their hand saying, I'm thinking about moving to Nashville, Knoxville, Atlanta, Florida, wherever, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It really doesn't matter where they go. It's more about the people involved right. in that operation. Um, so, so I think expansions around the corner and then, uh, uh, personally, um, I, I think that we're going to, man, I got, I got so many ideas in my head. Um, I know you probably have what, 20 businesses. Well, you, what, start, you know, another, like, another thing's like developing uh, a true marketing department for agents. So there's a yeah. lot of companies that are doing that. I want to really go hardcore in house first. So it's more of an attractant to get people to want to access the, the department. So, uh, there's a lot of services that agents need. I think that they don't do a lot of things because they don't have time. So we want to make it a back door into our website That's to where it's really smart. They, they got like it's, you know, jdouglasproperties.com forward slash back door. I'm just making it up. But, you know, whatever that may be. And then the agents buy can go same. in. Buy that, buy that yeah, domain. buy that domain. Quick, quick, get that. Uh, but but it could be the it could be the. I've already got it, but uh, it could be <laughs> the forward slash the domain you already own. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, but but it, but but I want it to be as simple as literally one click and it's done. So so for our brokerage, there will be like page one will be free services that you just click and it'll happen for you. Page two will be I'm just making this up as I go, but like level two services of whether it's print a flyer or do a video or right. feature a house, and then but then like I really want to get to a level of where someone like say for an open house for example where someone could go on and click the button and this is a paid for service of course but like 
the flyers, we'll put out the signs, we'll do the balloons, we'll have the bouncy house, we'll do the whole thing, we'll drop the voicemails. And all the agent has to do is click the button, pay the few hundred dollars to make it all happen. And I think that that that's a service that we're going to do. And uh, so marketing's a big deal. ISA world has been a big thing of of Mm. mine um, for a long time. We're in 2.0 version of that. It's our business development department now. Yeah, totally different spin on it. Um, so, I again, I get to test these things in the team, take it to the brokerage. Who knows? Maybe something might leave the brokerage and expand after that. Um, but then on a personal level, rental property. Rentals. It's just, you know, I, I only own one rental property in the, and then our building that we're in. Um, and Chattanooga is, has good rents and then, you know, low average price points. It's actually... Well, I'm a little scared to say this because whoever watches this, someone will call because they always do. But, um, you know, I, I bought a house for $110,000 a year and a half ago, and now I got a deal on it. You know, I got a deal. It was yeah. one of those kind of scenarios. Um, it's worth about 175 maybe right now. I put, I put some work in it. It rents for $1,500 a month. $1,500 a month on yeah. a hundred and Yeah, my mortgage. Like, I have a mortgage on only I owe like 70 grand on it. The payment's like 600 bucks. So, you know, it's pretty awesome pretty so so return. i need to i need to uh you know I, I put a lot of cash into our, our our building our business and everything a year and a half ago and i'm just now to a place now where i'm like okay it's time to like double down on on the rentals because it is literally mailbox money are I you mean, seeing population growth in chattanooga still huge still huge. yeah huge here's a huge. quick question what's one thing people do not know about nuga one thing, uh, nobody ever believes this, but supposedly we have the fastest internet in the world. Um, and everybody laughs at it. Like uh, like our friends out here in California, they're like, that's because nobody lives in Chattanooga. Nobody's <laughs> no using it. There's no There's no bandwidth being used right now. No, but like uh, EPB is well, Gary the, v has an office. Does he still have an office there? Gary Vaynerchuk has an office there. Yeah, he's in London, L.A., uh, Colorado, New York. New York, and Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, so, Colorado, so I've got to meet with him a couple times. It's kind of cool yeah. um, to have him in the backyard. Uh, yeah, Gary V's there. Um, Volkswagen bought uh, an old ammunition plant that used to be in Chattanooga. And believe it or not, Chattanooga at one time was the dirtiest city in the world. So like, if you look at the history in it. Really? It was it seems uh, super clean when I was there. It is now. Oh, okay. but Well, it's it's a lot cleaner than it was then. But um, they bought an old ammunition plant, and they put the a plant, a Volkswagen plant, and uh, on this this property. And but th- what's really cool is they invested into the actual property. So there's like horse riding trails, there's walking trails, running trails, bike trails. It's just and and but there's like all these like ammunition bunkers everywhere. So it's kind of neat. Um, we had the 1996 Olympics right up the road from us, and the the kayaking. So we got a lot of outdoor stuff. Climbing's a big thing. So it's really outdoorsy um pretty pretty techie since the fast internet i mean we're probably one of the techiest towns in the south um and it's it's cool though i mean you know i guess we used to say craft beer was a thing but i think the whole world is craft beer people now right yeah, so that's kind of an old thing yeah, but it's, the whole. it's 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 a it's a really cool town it's something like like i mean i think the only other place that i would consider moving to is probably here in orange county Really? Honestly, that's probably the only place I would consider moving to. Outside of that, I would stay. It's so intoxicating when you you come out to California. It's beautiful out here. But Chattanooga, we got all four seasons. We got a lot of water. 
um uh people people always wonder like like the water system you've seen the movie oh brother where art thou right i have not no oh you're kidding me okay well you were the only person so the you've seen it right like yeah okay guy behind the camera's seen it sam's seen it so but normal people have seen most movies like yeah it's it's a george clooney movie it's whatever but um in the movie they flooded the valley um, like a long time ago, that that legitimately happened in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So the government owns most of the waterfront property, oh. and so I'm just waiting for the day that like the government's like, you know what? Let's go. Let's Cash let go of the hundreds of miles of waterfront that we're just sitting on. It's just it's woods. vacant land, just woods. It's just literally woods. Wow. Yeah. So so, but so that could so really change things. It change the world, and it will change Chattanooga at least. Yeah. <laughs> the whole world change will change the world. once Chattanooga sells waterfront properties. Yeah, right. You heard it so, here first. I don't know. There's a couple fun facts. I like that. Yeah. All right. So, uh, one more thing. Switching yeah. back, just to kind of wrap this thing up. Um, you bought in to Berkshire Hathaway, right? So you, yes. you started the brokerage, big box brokerages okay and we didn't even get into disruption like we need to do another podcast someday yeah i love it all about real estate disruption and kind of what's happening in the industry when you think about big box brokerages do you think in five years all of the major names that we know today all of them will still be standing in five years or some of them all of them are some in five years yeah just five years i think they'll all be here they'll all i think they'll all be here yeah, yeah i mean the majority um I think I think the majority of them will still be here, and I think that. And why did you decide when you went brokerage, big box, big name, one of the top, as opposed to your own little indie Chattanooga style? It was, it was a fear-based decision. It honestly was really? a fear-based decision. It was. It Do you was, regret or no, 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 no? I don't regret it. I don't regret it. Um, but at the moment, it was a fear-based decision because I had the Edrington team, which is the number one team in town, yep. and I wanted to grow it bigger than the Edrington team. I wanted to have other teams, other agents, and I was scared. I was literally scared. If we open up an independent brokerage, we will only be seen as the Edrington team, and no one else will want to come play in our sandbox. Mm-hmm. And so I figured with a big brand name um, like Berkshire Hathaway, uh, we would be looked at differently. Now, I don't know. I don't know if that's completely the case because our team still dominates pretty heavily, and so it did take some time to get past that. But uh, it, it, you know, Berkshire, Berkshire's like, you know, the the kind of the high end, well known. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like Berkshire, Sotheby's, Compass now. Yep. It's up there, right? And mm-hmm. so uh, when I was talking to when I was talking to Berkshire about brands, they were talking about the other brands that they own because Home Services owns like tons of brands. They do. And they named a couple others off and I was like, who, what? And I was like, no, 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 I, I like nice stuff. So we're going to be, we're going to have the right, the right seal, you know, oh, so you that was one with other, other, uh, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and honestly, like I, I shopped a lot of brokerages. I probably the runner up for me at the time, um, was century 21. Mm. Nick Bailey was the CEO mm-hmm. at the time. Yep. And uh, that was that was short lived. Um, yeah. He was in and he was out. I, 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 don't, I don't get into it like you do. Was that with before the, they rebranded? Their um, they had not rebranded no. yet. No, because it was a year and a half ago. So, that, so, but Nick was telling me we had, had breakfast with them in D.C. They must have rebranded shortly after that. Though. It was shortly after, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was telling me about this big rebrand, and he sh- he literally showed it to me on the phone, on my phone or his phone. He's like, and I, he wouldn't, of course, he wouldn't send it to me or anything like that. He's like, this is where we're going. And uh, unfortunately, just a logo by itself, I was like, okay, that's cool, but I don't really understand like, you know, what it's all about. 
but I saw the vision that he wanted. Um, and I think I, I, I don't keep up with century 21, but I think that, uh, I think he was for the, the short lived time that he was there. I think it was a good spark to help shoot them off in a good direction. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. You follow the bigger national p- politics more. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, reality right now is all the brands are in a, in an interesting spot. So the question is, is do you buy Realogy stock now or no? It's at what, five, six yeah. bucks a share I when mean, it was so at low. It's five, five years bucks. ago, it was 50, 60 dollars a share? I think, sure. I think they'll, they'll, is it just going to the casino? Come up a little bit, but I, I think the better buy for anybody, certainly as we sit here this week, because they got crushed this past week, is uh, if you're in real estate and you're thinking about a stock, buy as much Zillow as you can. I'm a big believer in it. There are people that are on the other side think I'm absolutely crazy and that Zillow is going to completely fail and all the, all this, uh, kind of nonsense. I would invest my stock dollars in Zillow. So as opposed to buying Realogy, I would just buy more Zillow. So to respect her personal life, I won't say her name, but there's an agent that's here, a team leader that's here. Yeah. And I was telling you about it and she told me that she spent like, over the past X number of years, she spent money in Zillow. She's given them a million bucks. On buying zip codes. On buying advertising zip yep. codes, buying leads through Zillow. And she said, um, she said, if, uh, if we, we looked at it and what did we spend and what did we make? So she spent a billion bucks. She made another million bucks. So she doubled her money with a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of everything you put into because it's not just like pay to play like it's you got to work too. Yep. And she said but her and her uh, I guess stockbroker, investment broker, whoever, her advisor, they sat down and they said if we had invested the same amount of money each month into Zillow stock, it would be worth 6 million. And so literally the next day, Over that I same time period, pulled up the app. I was like, how do I use this rusty old app? And I bought Zillow stock too. <laughs> now it did fall 20% this past week, which was kind of, I bought more. You bought more. Yeah, I should probably buy some yeah. more too. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a big yeah. believer, you know, everybody, not everybody, but there's plenty of agents or team leads or brokers or whatever complaining Zillow stealing our business. Well, if you're that afraid, go buy their stock and let them, can't beat them join them retirement right? out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, no, I, I, I'm a hundred percent believer in it too. I think, yeah. I think the, um, what's his name? CEO of Zillow, uh, Barton, Barton, no. Rich Barton, yep. Rich Barton. He's a smart dude. Yeah. I got the chance to hear it. Well, we were there together Yeah. in, uh, in San Diego in May. Was it May? Yeah. In May. Yes. And, um, just listening to him speak, you can tell that like his, He's the a, wheels in his head turned, Unlike he, anybody else, different animal than Spencer Raskoff. Like totally, they're going to do different things, and I think the flex program uh, is going to mean more than anything else they're doing. I think them taking referrals, which is right now only in a few markets, I get it. It will be in every single state. Talk about five years. The end of five years, we'll look back, and Zillow will be all referral based. Mm-hmm. I think that more than anything is going to change the amount of revenue that they bring in more than um, instant offers. That's bringing them data. Do they have a competitor? Does Zillow. Zillow have Does a Zillow competitor? have a competitor? Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, their competitor is... Like, like think... On online traffic competition is probably Redfin, you know? Really? Yeah. See, I think, and, I think and I'm in Chattanooga, and Redfin's not in Chattanooga. We're sh- we don't get the compasses, the Redfin's, no. the, the big companies. So, like, it's hard for me but if on a, a local con- level. My, my, here's my point about it is if you're a consumer and you're in Chattanooga, you might be doing your searching, your, you know, your real estate, like, looking at listings on 
Redfin because they're not you, in there. It doesn't matter if they're not in there, there taking listings. Yeah. But their their website works traffic. for Chattanooga. Right. Right. And their website is pretty good. Is it? You know, so I, I think that's their competitor in terms of traffic. But, you know, it's almost like they've built such a good brand off of the back of Google AdWords that um, it's it's a real brand like Google it, Zillow it. Right. Hey, um, what's that house over there? I don't know. Look at Zillow. Like you hear consumers say that all the time. Yeah. Um, so I think they've got the far advantage and lead in this race. But I would say that Redfin's probably their their competitor. Uh, whenever you, I know you got a podcast coming up with Jason Pantana pretty soon. Yeah. And you should ask him about Zillow. He's done a lot of studies on how Zillow drives their traffic. I was talking to him yesterday about it. And he said it's they have three channels and like only three channels. They just go deep into their three channels. And it's Google AdWords, Google AdWords, Facebook, and email. And email. Yeah, and they, email. Are, they are. They are. They're driving effective so much traffic on email. And it, what was really cool, we were talking about Facebook ads. And I didn't realize this, but you can go to Facebook. You can figure it out, but it's like facebookadmanagers.com slash whatever library. So it's ad manager ads library after some of the order that so just google facebook ads library and facebook shows every single ad so you can type in zillow and see all of their ads that they've done really you can type in byron I didn't know that. you can type in byron the lazine and, and see, see all ads. the ads you ever run they they have their now they don't say who the audience is they don't say how much money goes behind it they mm-hmm. just literally show the ads and the creative the create the yeah all the creative so you literally get to see it so i started thinking about i was like okay, so now I have another person to rip off. Like, I didn't realize that was there. Yeah, I mean, I talk about this all the time, too. It's like, why not just emulate what Zillow does or, you know, people are afraid of, like, open door. Just rip off the features you like, use it in your micro market. Yeah, and with all the stuff that's changing in Facebook world, because, I mean, they're getting sued by the fair housing world and all that Mm -hmm, kind of stuff. mm -hmm. Um, The What's interesting is that Jason said that a lot, and he actually showed it to me on his computer yesterday, he he pulled it up and he was like, there was just hundreds of ads that were exactly the same on Zillow, and I was like, what is this? And he's like, they're targeting to different audiences, and so they realize there's certain types of ads. You should ask him. He's, it's pretty impressive. Um, he's really done a lot of studying on it because he's basically trying to help um, their coaching clients figure out how to compete with Zillow because I, there's not there's literally not a competitor right now. I mean, I guess Redfin is the argument, but like... I just think of them as the competitor of online traffic. They're the number two online, uh, you know, traffic source. Yeah. I, just, I think Zillow's next competitor just isn't here yet. Hmm. It's like AOL. Amazon. Like everybody used it. Everybody used AOL. Everybody had an AOL account. AOL account. Now, if like you get a lead and it says AOL, you kind of giggle a little bit, right? Yeah. Are they still paying for that? You know? Or I know they're <laughs> old as shit. That's yeah, really what it right. Down. right? And, and so... Um, I mean, w- doing role playing, like if I want to pretend I'm an old person, I'm like, yeah, my email address is Doug at AOL.com. And, you know, <laughs> so, um, anyways, yeah, it's just, I think it's interesting that Zillow is just such a monster though. They are. They are. Dude, this has been awesome. Really appreciate it. We're definitely going to do another one. Maybe cool. when we're in New York or something like that. Yeah. Coming up, Cause I, w- I mean, I think we could talk all day and I, I'm really into the, your take on the disruption stuff, but, uh, I think the value for everybody that you added that is thinking about a team that is even on a team that is a team leader was tremendous. So really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. We'll link you up. If you're listening, 
go over to YouTube if you're listening because we're going to have in the description all of uh, Doug's links, all the places you can find them. Anything you want to leave uh, the audience with that you're thinking about or... No, no. I mean, I think this is an awesome, awesome podcast. You let let a let a good conversation. Um, you know, I, I think I'm sure you probably get all the credit in the world for what you do because this is your show and you make sure it happens. But just a big kudos to you. Like, I think Thank it's you, cool to be associated with you to see like on the stage of Inman, Inman having you like every time I open up Inman News, which is basically the only place for real estate news right now. Yeah. Like you're on the main screen in some format. So. Uh, Lots of inspiration from this guy. Just started a radio show, and Dude, you're a big part of that. So love that, man. So thank you very much for all the help you've thrown my way, too. Let everybody know that radio's not dead for real estate. Or are you still testing? You don't know if it's dead for I you have, or not. I have no freaking clue. It's, no clue I, mean, it's, it's, I think I'm six shows into it now. I haven't really... Are you repurposing the content? No, I haven't done any of that yet. Yeah, I've literally, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do... I'm going to start with this slow. I'm going to get yeah. comfortable behind the microphone figure out like when the commercial comes on, how do you in, come in, go all that stuff. And, uh, but actually when we get back home, I'm pretty confident the radio sh- station, they've got it set up. We're going to, as you said, we got a pretty cool office. We're building a studio out in the office. So yeah. we've got, we literally have a glass box in our office. I don't know if you remember, it's downstairs, downstairs. Yeah. Um, but we got a glass box and it's like right on the main street. So people can see from the street, but then oh, we're going to wow, have fun with that's it. That's cool. We're going to have fun with it. So I'm going to set it up with, you know, all the cool stuff in the cameras and then we'll start repurposing it. But for the first couple months here, I've kind of kept it on the DL just testing and it just, out, yeah. just trying to figure stuff out. But what's funny is with the radio show, as soon as it's over, you're like, there's no audience. So it's like, well, that was good. Like, you don't get a reaction, right? So well, if you do uh, live, you get the calls. So you know, you know. Then if, yeah, uh, yeah, we've got a couple calls. It's been kind of funny. We're in Tennessee. We get some funny stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. Should, should I keep that above ground pool? And <laughs> I had a call one time. I literally, guy starts it with. He goes, um, you know, I, I don't want to sound prejudiced. I was like, all right, cut, cut this guy. <laughs> you know, yeah. just cut him. Yeah, um, yeah you, you get some interesting people. I'm actually running ads on the radio right now because. Uh, I've gone that deep into into radio, so people are right. paying you for the. That's cool. Yeah, all, all yeah. kinds of good stuff. So, yeah. dude, really appreciate it. Um, we're gonna do this again. Nice. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Thanks, brother. Hey guys, thanks for watching the video all the way to the end. I really appreciate all your engagement, all your comments, and if you like this content, if you want to see more, please. I've got two videos linked up here, or hit the subscribe button so that you never miss a video again.